going to begin in Psalm 31. We're going to notice Psalm 31, verses 23 and 24. David wrote, saying, O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. In our Hebrews class on Wednesday night, Ron had brought up some points about what hope is and what the world sees as hope. And what God teaches His people about hope and what the world understands hope to be and how those are two very different things. And because of that, I began to think about those differences and just how important hope is to God's people. Hope is one of the greatest motivating forces of life. Let's think about hope for just a moment, not just to the Christian, but but hope in general to uh, people uh, in everyday life. Hope will change behavior. Hope will change the way people look at things. It will change a person's outlook in life and on how they consider things. Hope will give one the ability to keep going when they will have otherwise give up. Hope is powerful. It is comforting. It is strengthening. It will strengthen, right? And it is necessary. Think about this for just a moment. The sick will persevere when there is hope. The unskilled will practice if there is hope. The downcast will press on if there is hope. The builder will build if there is hope. The farmer will plow if there is hope. The preacher will preach if there is hope. And to the Christian, hope is the most important thing in life. The hope we have is listed among the seven ones of Ephesians 4. 4 through 6. Notice what Paul said. He said, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. The writer of Hebrews called the Christian's hope a better hope. It's better because it is rooted in Christ Jesus. Now notice this. Not the prospect of a coming Savior, but a reigning Savior, 1 Timothy 1.1. Most hope uh, in the world is missing a key component, isn't it? It's missing a very key component. The hope the world understands is not hope hope at all. Instead, it is a desire with no real expectation that it will happen. That is a desire for blind luck, isn't it? Just a shot in the dark. Maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. The Christian's hope is a desire for something with a real expectation that it will happen. The writer of Hebrews defined faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Now the world says, well, there you go. It can't be real. You haven't seen it. Well, he didn't intend there was no evidence for our hope. We just haven't seen it physically, right? Well, I didn't witness a higher being creating the world, but I see the evidence of intelligent design throughout it. Well, the atheist can't tell you that he was there when this whatever happened to create the real world, but I can see a real world. Now, obviously, we know that that God created the world, but I'm just making a point, right? They say that the Big Bang happened, or evolution happened, or whatever it was that happened, but no person alive today was ever at the beginning of whatever happened, right? Well, we recognize that about 6,000 years ago, God spoke the world into existence, Genesis 1.1. No human was there when that happened. Now, on day six, Adam was created. Eve shortly followed. But the other five days, no one saw that because they were not in existence. But the whole premise of hope is for something to be received in the future. It involves something not seen in the present, but to be attained later on, right? Because something is not seen does not mean it does not exist. A whole lot of things exist in this world that we cannot see with the naked eye. doesn't mean they don't exist. We hope for the glory of heaven, and because we do the things God has asked us, we have a concrete expectation that we will receive the crown that God promised and for that which Paul faithfully awaited. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. The title of our sermon is to hope in the Lord, and God has instructed us on many of the aspects of hope. And we learn that hope is something that is first active. That's our first point. Hope lives in us and it will bless us, but it has to be an active hope, right? Hope saves the lost. We understand that. Paul explained that to us in Romans 8, beginning with verse 23. He said, for we are saved by hope, but not just any hope, right? He says, but... Hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Hope sets a goal, right? And it is one the Christian wants badly enough that they will overcome any obstacle which is placed in his or her way. Is Satan Satan setting obstacles in our way? Yes, he does it every day. He does it every day. What does our hope set a goal for? To attain heaven. And we will overcome those obstacles that He sets in our way. Hope's blessings are realized during difficult times, right? And when we overcome those difficulties, it leads to increased hope. And we're able to face those problems that we see each day. We're looking forward to something more glorious than what this world has to offer. When we overcome a problem in this world, that makes us long for the next world even more, right? We've been blessed with the Word of God so we can, so we can have the hope that God has given to us. It it's grows in us. It's built into us. Paul said, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. And, and God has given that to us 
so we can allow it to grow into us and we can go back to it all the time to help secure that hope in us, to, to help for it to grow in us more and more so it won't, so it won't uh, become weak and grow cold in us, right? But those who have not submitted to God may despair when enduring the confusions of this life. But the righteous hope for better things, Proverbs 14.32. We hope for those things that are better and hope inspires us to improve ourselves, doesn't it? 1 John 3, 2 and 3. The, the active hope of the Christian blesses and it shows each of us what we can become. That's what hope does. Maybe one of the greatest things it does is it shows us what we can become. Hope help, helps each of us to rise above the sinful past, to become righteous, blameless, and justified before God as we remain faithful to Him. Colossians 1. 21 through 23. Hope is an amazing thing. It gives us a permanent comfort, doesn't it? A permanent comfort and a stable foundation upon which we do every good work. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. Because we hope for the future reward of heaven... The faithful will bring forth the fruits of righteousness because that's what's required. That's necessary. Have you ever noticed a fruit tree or a, a, some kind of a, a fruit-producing vine like a grapevine or, or whatever the case may be? What happens when, when that stops producing fruit? What is the cause? Well, it's died, hasn't it? It's died. I noticed that uh, I was checking my honey my honeybees, and I had this one hive that just wasn't doing very good. It made it through the winter, and I noticed that it wasn't doing very good, and I opened the hive, and it had enough bees in it to cover one frame. And so I began to inspect it a little more, and I discovered that it didn't have a queen in that hive, and now the workers began to lay. Well, that's a death sentence. No queen. The workers have recognized there's a problem, and so now the workers are laying eggs. Well, that's not going to produce anything but a drone, and here's the problem with a the drone. They can't collect uh, nectar. They can't produce anything. All they can do is eat. So now you have to destroy the hive. So I dumped the, the workers out, uh, and I began to uh, put the honey, what was a little bit of honey was in there, and the drone comb in some of the other hives. Well, I noticed one of the other hives said... Uh, I wasn't seeing any action in it, and so I began to look into it, and uh, sure enough, it was empty. And so I began to take that apart. Well, it wasn't producing anything. There was no, no life in the hive. It had died. So now I take what's left over, and I begin to give it to a hive that is doing something, and they can make use of those products that's in that hive. You know, it kind of reminds me of the, the parable of the talents, right? If you're not going to use what you've got, the master will take that away from you and give it to someone who will. You can't just let it sit there and, and be destroyed, right? You can't just let it sit there and, 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 and let uh, bugs and ants and whatever come in and, and take that honey and destroy it. Wax moths come in and, and I discovered that in a couple of my frames. You know, they'll come in and lay eggs and worms and things like that. So you got to scrape all that out and you can't let that happen. You have to produce 
fruits of righteousness. And that's what hope will do for the Christian because we want to do better. You see, it makes us understand what we can become, not what we used to be. And, and we may understand that we used to be something and it was even years ago. And we've already become something better, but we can always become even more, right? Paul told those in Colossae, Colossians 1, beginning with verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before the word of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. But just any hope will not do, will it? Just any hope will not do. Without God, there is no hope, Ephesians 2, verse 12. So any hope outside of God would only be hope in this world. And what's going to happen at some point in the future with anything attached to this world? It's going to be destroyed, isn't it? It's going to go away. That's why... We have hope beyond this life, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. And we are comforted knowing God watches for those who place their hope in Him, Psalm 33, 18 and 19, right? We have to go beyond this life. Anything that's a hope outside of God, do you think people hope in, or have hopes that are attached to something outside of God? Well, sure they do. And they think it is attached to God. Look at the denominational world. Look at some of these denominations in the world who, who feel like they have modern-day prophets. right? And they're attaching their hope to those modern-day prophets. They have a great hope and they have been taught and they believe they have a hope for eternity. But see, this world's going to end one day and any hope outside of God will be destroyed with this earth. And they've been mistaught and they've been fooled into believing what they've been taught is true because they're not searching out the Scripture for themselves. And that's sad. But because we have a hope in God, we know our active hope also gives assurance to eternal life. That's our second point. The assurance of eternal life for the faithful has a great impact on the Christian because it improves us, right? It improves us. The one who trusts only in the things of this life you see, they only live for the here and now. The here and now is so temporary. If we could put up a graph of eternity, the here and now wouldn't even show up. It wouldn't even show up on the graph, right? When a person's morality is reflected in his or her beliefs, and without hope in God, in assurance of heaven, the comforts of of life become the primary goal. Isn't that sad? But because this life is all for which those people hope, there is no hope, right? There is no hope. When we look at the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, or we look at the, the letters that Paul wrote, and he, he talks about, and Peter talked about, and all the New Testament writers talked about, when they were referencing, uh, particularly before Christ came, and they were making mention about the Gentile nations, 
before Christ came and before the gospel was extended to those folks, they made mention of things like how their lives were prior to Christ coming. Without God in their lives, they were without hope in this world. Now that doesn't mean that God had not extended His laws to them, but what it means is they were not taking advantage of those laws, right? There was always provision in God's laws for the, the Gentile to obey His laws, but they were not take, make, uh, taking advantage of those laws. Now it was easy for the Jew to take advantage of God's laws because they were in a covenant relationship. They had the laws delivered to them. They were the keepers of the law. They grew up being taught the laws of God, right? It wasn't as easy for the Gentile, but they were still, uh, they still had access to the laws of God. But without God in their lives, there was no hope. And when a person only relies upon the things of this life, there's no hope in their lives. No hope is a terrible place to be. You know, most people in this world at one time or another have been in a situation where they felt like there was no hope. You know, those with the hope of God, though, realize one day we will stand in judgment, Hebrews 9.27. We realize this world is very temporary, 2 Peter 3.11-14. And we will always endeavor to improve ourselves. We recognize that, right? And because of that, we're going to live for the one who died for us. And that's what God expects. We talked about this morning about Mary who did all she could. She did all that, that she had within her ability to do. And that's what God expects out of us, right? And we learn our treasures in heaven, Matthew 6, verse 20. The assurance of hope will cause one to improve and at that same time, that same hope is the incentive behind that improvement. There has to be an incentive in life. We have to recognize that. God recognizes that. It will purify our lives. That's what hope will do for us. John said this, 1 John 3, beginning of verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what, shall, what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. It gives us the incentive to live righteously. We want to be in heaven. We want to be like Christ. We want to be ushered into the eternal realm, and that gives us a reason to be joyful as well. Romans 12, verse 12. People who are not Christians, people who, who live for this world, and all they, all they know is the, the physical things of this life, they do not understand the joy and peace that God offers. Terrible things happen in this world. It happens to good folks. They can't understand how a Christian can make it through those times, right? Paul told the Philippians, uh, Philippians 4 beginning with verse 6. He said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The Christian's understanding of God and hope which lives in the Christian, that surpasses the understanding of the world. They don't get it. How can a person find joy and hope in something after something terrible happens? You lose a loved one. What's the joy and hope in that? 
Well, what if that loved one was a Christian? Okay. Well, that loved one wouldn't swap places with us. They don't want to come back. They don't want to come back. We think about John chapter 11 and poor Lazarus. I say poor Lazarus because he was in the bosom of Abraham. Jesus brought him back to this world. I'm happy for Mary and Martha. You know, those people that loved him. You know, I know some folks that I'd like to bring back. They wouldn't wouldn't appreciate it. You know, they'd be a little irritated, wouldn't they? They'd, They'd say, look, what are you doing? You don't understand what you've done. See, we find joy in that, right? We find joy in that. We don't find joy in the separation physically from them. But we find joy in knowing they like where they are at if they were Christians. And we can improve ourselves. We have an incentive because you know what? We can go see them. We can spend eternity in that same place. And then we can sit around saying, well, I hope they don't call us back. You know, what's the joke? The the uh, the ladies uh, ended up in, in, in paradise and they, they all got together and they said, boy, if we'd known it had been this good, we wouldn't have eaten all that oatmeal all those years, right? Wouldn't have tried to have been so healthy. That's what I say, you know, to talk about exercise. You know, you just got so many heartbeats, I'm conserving mine. You know, I don't want to use them up. But, you know, we have a joy that's why we can find that. Because of that, we continue focusing on the joys of heaven. We understand through recognizing that uh, we have what God has offered us, an active hope, a hope of assurance. And we know what that is founded in. It's founded in His affection. Without God's affection and love for us, we wouldn't have any of that. It's founded in His affection, Right? And here's part of his affection, his presence. God's not going anywhere. God's not going anywhere. The writer of Hebrews encouraged his readers, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? We focus on the goal. We focus on the goal. God has always been close to those who want to be close to Him. He's not going anywhere. Now, we may separate ourselves, but He's not going to leave us. He's not going to leave us. Even when we find ourselves in situations less than what we want, He is still there with us, and He is still there for us. And we could write a whole list of terrible things we've been through. God's never left us. The blessings He has in store for us for the saved are unimaginable. Now think about it this way. Jesus was getting ready to leave and He gave that famous statement that we, we, we all remember, John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Gather you unto myself that where I am, or receive you unto myself that where I am, there you can be also. Here's the thing that, that I think about, and, and I've said this before, but this is so strong in my mind. You notice 
Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go make a place for you. He said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And I, every time I read that verse, you know who I think of? I think of my grandma, my Granny Taylor. I named my first daughter after her. So I love her. I, there was no one I loved more than her. And I think of her every time I read that verse because every Christmas and every Thanksgiving, I was at her home. And you know what she did before I showed up at her house? Not just me, but of course, at my, when I was a young child, I thought it was for me. She prepared her home. It was special because everybody was coming. The family was coming. And it had to be special, right? It was Christmas. It was Thanksgiving. It was just a special time. Everyone she loved was coming home and she prepared the home. That's what Jesus is doing. The home is already there. He says, I'm going to prepare a place. He's making it special for us. How can we not want to go there? It's going to be special. All that's true because of His power. He came out of the grave. He wants to go because He loves us, because of His affection. Peter promised that we're given everything we need to be able to do that. 2 Peter 1, 3-4. He's provided all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There's no reason. That gives us all the hope in the world if we know that we can do it. We ought to have hope, right? We ought to have hope. And the hope is there. All people want hope. But for it to be beneficial, it has to be a real hope, right? Not some shot in the dark. It has to be an active hope. It has to be a hope of assurance given by God. And it has to be based in His affection for us. And that's what God's hope is. And we can have that. God wants us to have it. He wants to encourage us. He wants to edify us. He wants it to make us better. He wants to help us. And He wants to give us a life in eternity with Him. Well, it just doesn't get better than that. It just doesn't. If we're discouraged, let's lean on God. If a person has never obeyed the gospel, allow hope to bring that person to the proper understanding. God's given us that too, right? If a person falls away, that hope can bring that person back through prayer, through repentance, through confession. You need to answer the Lord's invitation. Do that now as we stand and as we sing. Who at the door is standing patiently grow?